proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the reformed confessions of the faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The confessional collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Aaron Carr. I'm the pastor of First Presbyterian Church, as well as your host. The Collective is a band of confessing pastors, planters, and churchmen, and each week we have a confessional brother come share their wisdom and experience. In today's podcast, we have church pastor Cody Almanzar. Cody, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Cody is also the host of the Ordinary Podcast. Ordinary Pastor Podcast, and I was uh, lucky enough to be a guest on his show. And actually, Cody, you are the reason I'm doing what I'm doing, man. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate you immensely. Yeah, well, I I appreciate that, man. And you're a lot better at it than I am. So <laughs> you, I I'm learning from you now. Oh, stop, stop. The there we're gonna be hearing banging and saws in the background because. Cody is literally building Christ Church right now, uh, build board by board, brick by brick. Uh, so just ignore that in the background, and uh, I'm sure you'll be hanging on every word that we're going to be hitting today. So as we're listening, I just kind of want to share a little bit about the uniqueness of what you got going on. As I said, you are the host of the Ordinary Pastor Podcast, and you truly focus on the ordinary pastors, the guys that are out there, the blue-collar pastors, if you will. And I just want to start with asking you, what got you involved in that? Why why an Ordinary Pastors Podcast? Yeah, that's 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 a good question, man. I I had uh, been seeing a lot of podcasts come up, and and you know, I I don't even know why I wanted to start one. I I know nothing about technology. I'm so bad at this, but uh, I I had the desire to start one, but I was I was trying to work through what would it look like because I all the podcasts I've seen um, in the Christian world recently that have come up are these trendy, you know, something like, let's talk about beer and theology. Let's talk about tobacco and theology. And, and some of them are really good, and they do a good job at it. Um, but I didn't want that. I wanted something that would be more lasting and helpful. I, I really have a heart for pastors. My dad was a pastor, or is a pastor still, and um, I'm a pastor. And so I really have a heart for pastors. And so I was thinking, I want to do something that's going to be helpful to guys like me, because uh, I'm a bivocational pastor and, um, you know, it's sometimes you feel alone, man, especially if you're, if, if you're confessionally reformed, uh, you can feel really alone. And so I, I wanted something that would be a network for these guys, for ordinary pastors like myself. You know, I'm not shooting to get guys like RC Sproul on my show or, uh, you know, John MacArthur, Vody Bauckham or these guys that everybody knows. Um, I'm talking to guys that we don't know because I, I felt like hearing from them would be more helpful to me. Um, I don't know how many pastors John MacArthur has working for him or with him, um, but I don't think he's the guy out there working at the post office and going back and studying and making a sermon and visitation and all those things. Um, and so I wanted to talk to those ordinary pastors like myself to get um, this network so 
you, you, you're building friendships with these guys and hopefully just really good information. What's happening to you um, has already happened to somebody else and let them tell you about that experience. And um, that was kind of the idea there on how, how um, that developed. Well, that's so encouraging because we live in a day and age where it's all about the celebrity and it follows mm-hmm. in the church world with the celebrity pastors and how big is your church and how many uh, campuses do you have? And here right. you're focusing on the guy who's probably working with a hundred people or less, which is right. the average size church in America. And you're mm-hmm. focusing on upon his needs, his struggles, his concerns, and hearing from the quote-unquote expert who has 5,000 members <laughs> isn't really ministering to him. So I think you're really reaching a, a very unique aspect of the broader community uh, of the church. So I appreciate your work there and just what you've been doing, and I know that I have benefited from, from the podcast myself. What yeah. would you say is your favorite uh, episode so far of your, uh, of your podcast? I got to ask that, right? Because, you know, I was on it. So I'm like hanging on the edge of my seat. Is it me? Is it me? (laughs) Yeah, I I was going to say it has to be you, right? Since I'm on your show. Like, I I have to say you now. Well, whatever you say, we can edit that in. So that's... (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, okay. So there's... I was thinking about this because I I was just talking to a couple guys about the favorite episodes. And uh, yours was mentioned by one of the other guys. And I... and. Thinking back on that, it was really one of my favorites because you talked about something that I am going through uh, in church revitalization. Um, You know, my church that I pastor now was not a confessionally reformed church a year and a half ago, um, and it was 13 people, you know. So that church revitalization really was, uh, I, I thought you did a fantastic job, and it was really helpful. Um, one of the other episodes that I've really benefited from was one of the more recent ones with Joel Seda case. I don't know if you heard that one. No, I didn't actually. He, uh, he got let go from his church and, um, right before he got let go, they found out that his, I think he said two year old son was diagnosed with leukemia and his wife was diagnosed with, uh, cancer as well. Holy and, cow. and the church let him go. And, uh, he talked about how, to handle being let go from a church and how he stays um, free from not being bitter. And it was just really a powerful episode. I thought that uh, really spoke to me. And, and I, one of the guys, one of my mentors actually called me and said, you know, I've listened to that one twice now because it's been, it was so good. So um, those two, and then one more with Martin Bender. Um, I didn't know Martin (laughs) before, I interviewed him and uh, that guy's great, man. He's, he's hilarious. But we talked about uh, uh, taking your church, having them uh, grasp good doctrine. He pastors a, a Christian church down in Georgia and they were, you know, if you know anything about like the Christian church denomination, even though they say they're non-denominational, they uh, don't have good doctrine. And so he's been working with his church, like working through a catechism and, and those sort of things with them, trying to develop better doctrine. And that one was really good, too, because that's sort of what I'm going through here at my church. And so it's been it's been uh, those those three, yours, Joel's and Martin's have all been really helpful to me. Well, that's I feel honored that I'm even listed with the, the stories of those two other guys. So yeah. um, <laughs> doing podcasts, I think the the listener 
they're they're tuning in because they like the questions or they like the guests or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think as the host, we grow a lot, wouldn't you say? I mean, you grow oh, from what people are saying. And that's really what uh, inspires me to do it every week is just what can I learn from the people that we have on? What would right. you say is something that you know you picked up in some of those podcasts that you've done that you've seen kind of begin to be applied to your life, to your ministry, to your marriage, whatever? Yeah, that's a really good question. And there's a few, a few things. Um, I'll try to keep it short because... Uh, I know that you can ask a question and it can go on forever, the answer. (laughs) But uh, I think one of the things is really living out the gospel in your life to your church. Um, And and what I mean by that is something like, well, how Joel was talking about not being bitter, being let go, because here he is, the people that he loves the most in this world are both diagnosed with cancer. And um, he said, my biggest problem is not that my son has cancer or my wife has cancer. Or I don't have a job. My biggest problem is sin. And that was paid for on the cross. And, and he said, so I don't have to be bitter anymore. Hmm. So he's, he's living out the gospel in his life in that way. And so to interact with the people of my church in a more loving way, I think that's been one of the overarching things that I've learned throughout talking to these other pastors uh, around the world. I mean, it's not just America, but we've talked to guys in the UAE and Cambodia and uh, Iceland. I've got uh, an interview from, with a guy in Iceland coming out next week. And so, um, you know, we've talked to these guys and it's all, that's one of the universal things is just to interact with your congregation in a loving way and being patient with them. Because as a younger guy, you know, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready to make changes. And I've come to conclusions on doctrine and things that maybe some of the people in my church haven't yet. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, what's wrong with you? Let's go. You know, let's just make this change. And they're not quite there. And so to be patient and loving with them is one of the things that I've really learned. And and it hasn't been something that's just been just in your face talked about on on the podcast. But you can sense this overarching theme and the love of these shepherds for their flock. And uh, that was one of the things that I really have taken away from it. Wow. No, that's that's rich. Thank you for sharing that because it's it's something that I have really started to experience just in these last, you know, uh, so many weeks we've been doing this. This is, I think, week 11, mm. and it's it's been challenging. There's been things I've been forced to think about. I mean, that's our hope, right, for our listeners, but it's amazing how much that comes back on you, uh, yeah. the host, and uh, working through that. Uh Cody, do me a favor because I want people to understand a little bit of your background. Mm-hmm. I know you're the pastor at Grace Family Church in right. Cannon City, Colorado. Would you mm-hmm. just give our listeners just maybe, for those of you who aren't familiar with you and the Ordinary uh, Pastors podcast, but just you, co- uh, Cody the pastor, tell us a little bit about who you are and your background. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm, I'm married uh, to my lovely wife, Amber, and we have six children, nine and under. Um, and we are in Canyon city. Like you said, I, I studied, uh, biblical studies basically at Sangre de Cristo seminary here in, uh, Westcliff, Colorado. It's a small reformed seminary. Um, wonderful people, man. I mean, you'll never meet better people in your life than the people up there that, that work there. So, uh, but I, I graduated there with my master of divinity in 2013 
Um, I grew up in Canyon City. I wanted to get out of Canyon City. When I graduated from seminary, I was looking everywhere but Canyon City to pastor. And lo and behold, I am in Canyon City and pastoring this awesome church here, Grace Family Church, that I love now. I, I mean, I couldn't ask for a better place to be. Um, I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad was a independent Baptist, uh, you know, so I, I grew up with uh, dispensationalism and, and these other ideas that I don't hold to now, but I grew Praise up there. God. My da- yes, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, my dad's been a faithful pastor for 40 years or so. I, he's been on the podcast, on my podcast, a couple times. Um, so uh, I've enjoyed talking to him, but uh, that's basically it, man. I'm the youngest of four in my family, and uh, I have the largest family out of all my siblings. So that's basically it. Let's talk a little bit about that journey into Reformed theology, Calvinism, uh, covenant theology, that that mm-hmm. kind of journey from uh, a Baptist roots, and here you go to a Reformed seminary. There's obviously quite a journey between point A and point B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, okay, so that, that whole journey— I got hired as a youth pastor. I was working. Um, I was working for Schwann's, the food the food company, and my wife and I were fairly newly married, and I hated it. And I was going to uh, an independent fundamental Baptist church, and they were looking for a youth pastor, and they asked me to do it. I guess because I was young, and uh, they they should have never asked me. I, I knew nothing. I, I knew nothing about the Bible. I knew nothing. I, of anything. I didn't know how to teach. I didn't know doctrine. And I accepted it, of course, because I was thinking, man, at least it gets me out of Schwann's. You know, I'm not working 12 hour days every day of the week. Now I'm can sit in an office. And so my dad gave me a box of books um, that he wasn't using anymore. And so as, as I was trying to teach the youth there at the church, I was realizing like nothing I'm saying is making sense. <laughs> you know, nothing, nothing. I'm, I don't believe what I'm trying to teach them. I don't know how to teach. So I've got to figure this out. I've got to under, know how to teach the kids here at the church. So I started digging through that old box of books and I found Knowing Scripture by R.C. Sproul. And I didn't know who he was. I had no idea who he was, but I thought, Knowing Scripture, that's what I need to do to teach. So I read through that book, and I read it in a day. And I was just, I I devoured it. I was thinking, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever read. You know, I've never read anything as good as this. So I I read it again, but that time I was looking up every Scripture verse that he was citing. And I was thinking, man, this makes so much sense. So I... I got online and I was trying to find books by R.C. Sproul, more of them, you know, still not knowing who he was. Um, and of course, I came around uh, The Holiness of God and I read that one in a day. Then I went back through it and looked up all the scripture with it. And then I read The Soul's Quest for God. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I am actually, yeah. I, yeah. That one impacted me more than any book that I read by R.C. Sproul, where I read that and I read it probably three or four more times. And I was just looking up uh, uh, all the scripture with it. And then in that, he's citing Calvin and he's citing Luther. And so I started thinking, man, maybe I need to read these guys. You know, I didn't know who they were. But I started reading Calvin and Luther. And and it wasn't that I was just reading them and saying, oh, I believe this or I believe that. It was 
that I was looking up the scripture as they were citing it in there, and it was making sense to me like it never had before. And so I started thinking, man, this is really awesome that these guys here are getting this right, you know, because one of the things I could never wrap my mind around uh, growing up in an independent fundamental Baptist church is how do you, okay, so they would say, come down, make a decision for Christ. And then once you're saved, you're always saved. I, and I could never understand if you can choose God, you can unchoose God. That, that's, that made sense to me. It never made sense how you can choose him and then you're saved always. Um, but when I started coming across election through the writings of Sproul and, and Calvin, and then of course I got into Spurgeon too. But after that, I started seeing that election is all about God. Salvation is all about him. It's his work, not my work. And once that once I saw that truth in Scripture, it made so much sense to me. I embraced it wholeheartedly right away. It's all about Him. That's the reason I'm kept forever. That's the reason uh, I, there's perseverance of the saints. It's not my perseverance. It's God's perseverance. He's persevering me to the end. And that made sense to me. It wasn't about uh, my decision. It wasn't that. And so I accepted it wholeheartedly. And and so I started thinking, man, this is Amazing, and so I started really getting into uh, Calvinism and Reformed theology, and just reading all I could on that. Um, of course, R.C. Sproul was a big one. Uh, his book, "What Is Reformed Theology," was one of those. And so, as I'm studying this, um, my wife is saying, "I don't believe that at all." You know, how could how could God actually choose people? Is what she was saying, and not choose others. I just don't. There's no way. And so we would argue for hours on this subject. And until I got to the point where I said, we can't do that anymore. We're just going to open up the scriptures and let them speak for themselves. And so we did. And we started studying together through the Bible. And she came to embrace Reformed theology as well um, and loves it, you know. But it it took that to really kind of get me interested in the Bible. I, I, I It was one of those things where once I saw that election made sense, I just really embraced all the other things. It was never hard for me. Limited atonement was never hard for me to understand once I understood the doctrine of election. I know that's usually one of the ones that people have the most difficult time with is um, limited atonement, but I didn't. I just embraced it. I loved it right how did, away. How did you move then from embracing reformed doctrinal positions such as Calvinism and and, and, and even maybe basic tenets of, of covenant theology, how did you move into a more confessional understanding of, of church? Um, mm-hmm. I know that you and I have talked about this before, about, you know, the, uh, um, the no creed but the Bible. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that was the basis of the church where you're now serving. And yet mm-hmm. your journey was, you no know, the confessions in that, have weight and, 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 and importance. How, how did you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah. So I'm, I'm at seminary and we're studying, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm wrestling with the issues on, uh, Presbyterianism being a, a covenant dual, um, Baptist. And I'm, I'm wrestling with these issues. And, and so I'm reading the, the Westminster, that was what we used there at, 
Sangre de Cristo for the classes. Every time we used a confession, it was that or, you know, or we'd go to the three forms of unity or something, which I love all of them. I think they're all really good. But I was thinking, you know, I, I just can't come to these terms yet. I'm, I'm not there. And so I found the London Baptist Confession, you know, and I'm doing all this work because none of the Presbyterians there wanted to help me, you know. <laughs> Shame <laughs> they, on them. Shame. Yeah, they, they said, well, why would you do that? You know, just uh, but so I, I'm trying to figure out all this stuff on my own. And I find I come across the London Baptist Confession and I start reading it and I'm thinking, man, this this is good here. Um, but why do I need it? Mm. You know, that was the question. Why is this important to me? And so it took a couple years of just wrestling with that. Why, why should I do this? Why should I want a church that says they hold to this? And so uh, I, I realized that it, now that I'm a pastor, one of the things that I love about it, and this is where I really settled on it here at my church, was that if, you're, if you don't have certain things in your name, like uh, if you're not called like First Reformed Baptist Church of Canyon City, People aren't going to have any idea what Grace Family Church means. The average churchgoer is not going to really truly understand um, even the word grace in it. They're, they're just going to think it sounds like a nice name. So I wanted something that would help protect the church. I wanted something that said this is uh, adamantly what we confess as a church, what we believe to be the truth taught in Scripture, and something that where we have— people that come in that may be, you know, independent, fundamental, King James only Baptists. And they say, well, what do you believe? You know, are you King James only? And we say no or whatever. But then we can hand them the confession and say, this is what we believe. Read this. And most of the time, people either read it and love it or read it and hate it. And I felt like that was really um, something that helped protect the church that way as I feel like that's a that's an important aspect of being a pastor is to protect your church. But, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, describe for us in that journey there, I mean, what did your view of subscription look like? Because I see you're using it as a benchmark, but how did you, how did you live that out? Mm. Yeah, so I <laughs> automatically, uh, I'm, I'm working through these things. And so what that looked like for my church Okay, so these different issues. I mean, we we agree here on uh, the books of the Bible. There's no question there. Where the questions start coming in uh, for a lot of people in my church, and uh, the questions that I've been that I had to wrestle through to come to these conclusions were something like the Lord's Supper, um, instead of it just being purely a memorial, but an actual means of grace. So that was one of those things where that that was not difficult in our church really to to talk about, but it was one of those things where people would say, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? And so my, I, my personal um, uh, journey started changing as I'm, as I'm reading this book, because I'm thinking this is right here. I see it in the scripture. I see the confession is doing this. And it wasn't because I wanted to say I hold the London Baptist Confession. It was because I saw what the London Baptist Confession was saying was true, was true with the Scripture. And so that was the whole thing. If the Scripture contradicts the Confession at any place, you throw the Confession out and hold to the Scripture. But I, I, I saw that, and so my ideas start changing, as, and as that's changing in me, I'm getting excited trying to teach these things to the church 
And in turn, some of them are getting excited and some of them are saying, hold on a minute here. You know, let's let's talk about this. But you can see that playing out in the church where some people have now either a full view of subscription where they say, I, I subscribe wholly to the confession. Some might say, I take exception at um, the end times because I am premillennial. You know, we still there are some of those in the church that are premillennial. And that's fine. I, I tell the people at my church, we can disagree on certain aspects of the confession. We can disagree on uh, the end times. You know, I, I know the confession's not uh, explicitly uh, clear on those things, but we can disagree on those things. We can disagree on certain areas, but the parts that we can't disagree on are when it talks about the gospel and when it talks about Jesus and when it talks about those things, those are the areas we need to be in agreement on. And if we're not, there's a problem. So it's it's shaping the way that I pastor because I'm looking at it then in a different way. I'm looking at the pastoral role in a different way as far as, uh, you know, this is changing me. So I want to teach you guys this. Why do I believe this uh, to be true? And so it's shaping that in me and it's shaping the church where they're starting to see it as something that is beneficial to have because for the reason of to protect themselves and to protect people coming in uh, or to protect us from people coming in, I should say. Um, And so it's been really good in that way. And one of the things uh, that helps supplement that is we started uh, doing a catechism class with the adults and the children. But with the adults, we started uh, using an Orthodox catechism by Hercules Collins, which is um, based off the Heidelberg. And those two things, the confession and the catechism, run so closely together that it really helps you understand what the confession's saying. And so at those parts where they, where they um, run together, I'm presenting that to the church, and they're, they're seeing it more now and embracing it more now that it's coming straight from the Scripture into these books, into ways that we can be, uh, have it easier for us, palatable, I guess. Do you see a distinction between the way you and any future uh, staff that you were to bring on, their, their subscription to the, to the London Baptist as opposed to the member who's sitting in the pew? Do you, a higher higher responsibility, or how does that work for you? Yeah, I think so. I think okay. Let me just give you a little quick history on on the church there, so you kind of know where I'm coming from. I had two elders that were there when I got there that were not qualified to be elders. Um, one I asked to leave, and the other one just left, and that was difficult because they had been at the church for a long time. But it was it was so hard being there where I'm becoming confessionally reformed and these guys are not, and they're opposing me. Their ideas are totally unbiblical and we just were in separate areas. I mean, of theology. And, and so right then I said, you know, (laughs) I need to have elders that are confessional. I want guys that subscribe to the London Baptist confession to, to be elders with me and, and, those guys who are going to be deacons, I want to be on the same page as them. Now, the person in the pew, as long as they're not 
causing issues with it. As long as they're not um, saying, you know, well, this is wrong here, this is wrong here, and causing problems for the people in the church, I don't care if they have a full subscription to the confession, as long as they know the church is going to, the leadership of the church. So I want the elders to do that. Uh, we Obviously, we don't have any other elders right now. We've got a guy who's um, possi- possibility to be an elder, and he's got a full subscription to the confession as well. Uh, so, And then we've got a guy who's training to be a deacon right now, and he's also uh, full subscription to the confession. And so we're on the same page. I know there might be little nuances here and there, but I see it as different for the leadership in the church, and maybe that's wrong. Maybe that'll change as I get um, older in the ministry. But as of now, I don't really have issues with um, the church holding it differently than the leadership. Sure, sure. I know my listeners will be mad at me if I don't ask this question, but through this whole journey of um, Reformed theology to confessionalism, where do you stand now? Who's your favorite old dead guy? <laughs> uh, that's pretty difficult. I, I love the dead guys, man. So I, I, I don't know for sure who my favorite is. I, I'll, I'll list off a few that I read regularly, uh, and then uh, we can kind of go from there. But I, I've got to say Martin Luther is one of my favorites. Um, I think he's I knocking the 95 Thesis in your door right now. So. <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds like. That's why I brought him up, I think, <laughs> subliminally that— uh, made me think of him, but Luther's one of my favorites. Um, Thomas Watson is one of my favorites. Any, any of the Puritans. I mean, I sure. love Bunyan. I love Watson, Owen, you know, all those guys really resonate with me. Um, and then of course, Charles Spurgeon is one that I read regularly as well for an old dead guy. But, um, so I don't, I don't know that I could say this guy's my number one favorite, but all those guys are great. Let's talk about Martin Luther for a minute. You, you named him first, and maybe it was just because of the banging on the door or whatever. <laughs> but um, what what things would you encourage our listeners, these these guys who are maybe coming to the Reformed faith, coming into confessionalism, and mm-hmm. they've heard of Martin Luther. They know the story of the 95 Theses to the Door, but they've never read anything that he's written. Yeah. What would you recommend them to pick up? Well, the bondage of the will is comes to mind right away. That was the first thing I read by him, and it's hilarious. And it, and actually, it's just the first chapter is hilarious. The rest of it's pretty thorough and, and not as funny. But if you listen to it on audio form and have somebody else reading it, it's even funnier. So I would recommend that. But um, that is really good. And then his uh, selected writings from his collection or from his works – there's a four-volume set, and I'm trying to think of who uh, who it was that edited that. I can't think of the name now. But it, there's a four-volume set of his selected writings that are all extremely valuable. So you don't have to go through his whole works to figure that out. Um, and so I would recommend those two from the beginning and any of his sermons. He it, One thing that is kind of – and I was talking to some people last night at the church about this – is that he does is he allegorizes the text a lot when it's not – meant to be allegorized. And so you can kind of see that Rome still in him a little bit there, but, um, his sermons are really good. So, uh, I would say any of those things, uh, but bondage of the will would be number one. He had a lot of funny one liners when he would deal with, uh, the Pope and, <laughs> and oh, man, others, yeah. you know, I, 
I just it, it cracks me up like you said when you, it was funny when you said when reading him is comical it is yeah. because of the stuff that literally comes off the page you find yourself <laughs> laughing in a, in a room where everybody else is serious because you're reading Luther and they don't know why you're laughing but yeah yeah uh, I agree with you um, your your life is a little bit unique in that you are a tent making pastor you mm. you're bivocational and you are married, you have children, you're a pastor, you have a podcast, and yet you also have a day job. You have a mm-hmm. job that you go to every day and yeah. and serve the community mm-hmm. you literally are pastoring in. And it's just an amazing concept that you're able to hold all these things together. And mm. I know that you know, you would say it's Christ through you and God's the one who empowering you. And we don't ever mm-hmm. want to misplace the ability to do anything in ourselves, but it, right. it, it always comes from God. But you, you're spinning a lot of plates. And <laughs> how does a guy who's um, tent making keep from some of those plates falling down? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know that I keep them from falling down. I think there are times that they do. And um you know, like you said, it's by God's grace that he's allowed me to do these things. I think one major thing is that he's given me an, an, a wonderful wife um, who has been just, you know, she's she's encouraged me and supported me in these things. She sees the benefit of the podcast, even if she doesn't like it at times. Uh, because Does your you wife know, actually listen to yours? Because my wife won't listen to mine. No, she doesn't. She doesn't. She she says I want to, but I'm always busy, so she doesn't listen to it. Um, unless I put it on, like when I'm editing, sometimes I, I'll edit without my headphones, and then she hears it, and then she listens. Um, but no, she doesn't listen to it. I don't know if anybody in my family does, my parents or anybody. I don't think they do, so uh, it's kind of disappointing, <laughs> actually. But um, so that's that's number one is is my wife. Uh, she's just been a, an extremely helpful and uh, a God-given jewel to my life. Um, so number one would be her. Uh, another one is the church that I pastor is really um, not needy so much as as some churches, I guess you could say. They, and I think a lot of it's their history. They just haven't had a steady pastor f- in for years. I mean, years. It was crazy. They hired a truck driver as a pastor and he wouldn't show up some Sundays because he was on the road and he wouldn't tell anybody, you know, just that was the kind of the history they had there. It was just a really odd thing. Wow. So they're not so needy that they, they're constantly calling me saying, I need you here, there, there, whatever. They understand the role of bivocational, uh, pastor pretty well. Um, so that would be another one. Another one would be that, uh, I, I, I don't know, man. Honestly, I, I think I get, I'm pretty hyper. And so I, I drink a lot of coffee and that keeps me going. I don't sleep much. So I, I do a lot of studying at night after the kids go to bed, you know, till, uh, 12 31 o'clock. And then I'm up at seven, seven thirty going to work and then come home and, and do it again. And, and so I, I don't know. I, I just, keep going. I, George Whitfield said one time that he would rather wear out than rust out. Mm. And I've really taken that to heart in, in my ministry and areas. And it's not to say that there are days that I just don't crash, you know, cause I do so like once every two weeks, I just crash. And, um, then I started up again, but it, it, you know, God really trained me 
to do this through men or through seminary. I didn't realize why um, there that I that I was doing the things I was doing, but it, it trained me for this position here at the church. And um, so something like uh, I, I was driving down an hour every Sunday to preach at this church and they would pay me $50 to preach. I mean, that's all they, that's all we had. They would give me a $50 check and say, uh, maybe you shouldn't cash this for a few days even. I mean, that's how bad off the church was. And I would, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, but I've got to get gas to get back to the seminary, you know, like, how am I going to do that? And so there was this constant, I work Monday through Friday, it was schoolwork, Saturday preparing sermons, Sunday preaching, coming back, studying Sunday night for Monday morning, and then starting all over again, Monday through Friday school, Saturday sermon, Sunday preaching, and then do it all over again. And I didn't have much time. I mean, I would stay up till two o'clock in the morning, wake up at seven and go to class. And it was every day. And I just never had a break. And and so I, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of worrisome when when you get $50 check a week and you've got to get gas and you've got to get diapers and you how are you going to get groceries? How are you going to do this stuff? But God did all of that for us. I mean, it, it was so amazing to see him work. I graduated debt-free from seminary, making $50 a week for three years. How does that happen? I had a family with, we had our fifth child at seminary. Uh, so how does that even happen? There's no way to explain it other than that it's the grace of God. So when I come here and I've got a decent job at the post office and a church that's paying me more and the church is growing and it's healthy, I I can't, I, I, I mean, I would feel so terrible to say that any of it was me doing it because I see that it's God doing it the whole time. He sustained me through seminary. He sustained me now. And um, I think how dare I even wish that I was in a different context because he's brought me here. And, you know, that part of that goes back to the confessions, though, where if we weren't a confessional church, it would be easy to have a church of 200 and maybe on on staff full time, you know, making decent money or 300. It would be easy if we dropped the confession and we said, let's just start doing things to attract people here. But I, I don't want to do that. I don't think that's a biblical response to things. I think we honor God by sticking as close to his word as possible. And we feel like the best expression of that is come out in the London Baptist confession. And so we, we stick to what that says. Um, we, I mean, just to show you how uncool our church is and how much we're not trying to attract people with the eye. We have an 85 year old piano player, um, who really, she, she can't see sometimes she can't see notes. Sometimes she messes up and the people love it. The people there love her and we're not going to change that until God changes it. So I think a lot of this stuff, just this balancing and all that, it's all on God. It's not, it's not me. It's honestly not me. I, I would fail miserably if I tried. And so one, um, one, one of the things I love that you're saying mm -hmm. is that your integrity gets in the way of your comfortability. Mm -hmm. And I think, and we live in a day and age when there is definitely an age, uh, uh, an expression of entitlement. Mm -hmm. um, hey, I went to seminary, you guys deserve and should pay me X amount of dollars. Or, hey, I'm your pastor, everybody should just do what I say. Um, 
And yeah. what I see from you, and one of the first things that when we very first talked before um, I even really got to know you, was I mm-hmm. saw humbleness and I saw brokenness and I saw mm-hmm. a strong significance that you had on the grace of God that, you know, for except for the grace of God, go I. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and what I see in your character is a man who is willing to not give up what he believes just to be comfortable. And that is yeah. so contrary to what we see from a lot of people floating through looking for a quick and easy fix um, in, in, in a simple, uh, comfy life. So I just want to speak that from my heart about you and what I know of you and uh, to our listeners to say, here's an example of somebody who's doing it. And and uh, and I know it's not easy. And uh, yeah. in fact, what would you say are some of the uh, the setbacks to being hmm. bivocational? Oh, man. <laughs> I, I would say uh, there's, you know, there are times that I wish that I, there are times that I come across a text in Scripture that I feel like I don't have enough time uh, to study it on. Um, and that that's one of the worst things uh, when I feel like I just don't, have enough time to study this here. Um, we've got so many things going on right now at the church as far as we have Sunday morning service. We've got dinners every Sunday. We have Wednesday night service. Uh, I meet with some guys for discipleship every Friday. And then we have um, Saturday men's breakfasts and work days a lot of, a lot of the time. And so that right there would be beneficial to have more time to put into all that stuff. Because when I'm going to work every day, come home on Wednesday, and I have two hours to get ready for church that night, it's really difficult. So I think just the time is one of the one of the worst parts um, about it. Just and then if you hear, you know, one of your members is in the hospital. And you're thinking, well, I can't go. I'm at work. You know, I can't go see them. Then you get off work and you call and they're already out of the hospital or or whatever it is. Um, that makes it difficult. And so it's uh, that's probably one of the harder, uh, harder parts of it. With those hard parts, I'm sure there's the opposite side. There's some benefits to being bivocational. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, I would say those are way better than the. Uh, those outweigh the uh, setbacks. One of the things that's really beneficial about it is that I'm able to meet so many people um, through work because I work at the post office. So I meet all the employees there. And then on my mail route, I meet tons of people. They all, they all come out to the mailbox. I, I, I work in the rich area of our town. And so these people, I think, sit around and watch out their windows until I get there. And then they come out and they'll talk to me. And so I've been able to make connections with people that way. Um, so that's been good. Um, one of the things is, is that it hasn't put a financial burden on my church to say, you guys have to pay me more. Um, you know, we, they want to, they want me to be full time. And, uh, our confession says that the church needs to, so the pastor can live without, uh, uh, without worrying about these things. And, but we're getting there. We're not there yet. And, um, so I, I think just not putting the church in financial uh, straits has been one of the things that's been really beneficial. And 
you know, the relationship I've made with my boss has been great. And so that was one of the good things. Um, and then also being around non-believers is fun kind of in a way, uh, because you do stand in such contrast to them that they then, uh, you know, look at you and you can have these conversations from a totally different worldview, but you're bringing light into their worldview. And so that's been fun. That's been a good thing because I, I know of one other person who claims to be a Christian that I work with. And, um, and so that's been really good just to meet these people and be able to talk to them and share the gospel with people. So it's, uh, I think the, and you know, I, I've taken this approach too, and maybe it's wrong. Maybe I'll get fired, but I don't care if I do. I, I, I don't shy away from talking about God in situations where people normally do. I don't, um, even if I lose my job for it, I think it's worth it. And I think God will provide something else for me. And so, um, that's one of those areas where, you know, I don't, uh, I don't shy away from it and I'm not ashamed to talk about those things in front of people. And so it makes people uncomfortable sometimes, um, to hear it, you know, cause it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like somebody sucked the air out of the room when, when the name of Jesus gets brought up in a context. Um, but I think it's worth it. And so we'll discuss those things. We'll have good discussions. And, and, uh, so that's been good. I love, I love the aspect that, it, that being bivocational allows you to be missional. Um, yeah. for me, I've tried to find other ways, um, working in cities, working with, uh, organizations, specifically football or whatever, to try mm-hmm. to find a way to get out there because as pastors that do work inside the building so often, it, you become isolated. You, be, you become encircled with a certain way of thinking, certain way of doing life, and you miss how the culture uh, is thinking and what they're hearing and how, yeah. how the influence, the light we can be there. So I love the aspect that bivocational allows you to be on mission in, in your very city where you're planting or mm-hmm. where you're serving, excuse me. But um, Looking at all that, I, I got to ask a question that I think I really want to hear your answer, and, <laughs> I, and I hope that our listeners do as well, which is this. What do you wish people knew more um, about the tent making pastor? What do you wish <laughs> we knew more about you that would make mm-hmm. us, uh, you know, better, better, uh, better uh, people to be preached at from you, better people to be served by you or to serve you? Yeah. That's a good question. I, I think that one of the things that I wish people knew is that it can be really hard. Um, and I know people say that, you know, and I know people will assume that maybe people in the church, but maybe not because they, they know what it's like to work a job. But a lot of people don't know what it's like to work a full-time job, raise a family and pastor. And so there's times that, uh, you know, the church needs to be considerate of their pastor, knowing that his time with his family is valuable and he needs it. Um, so if you're listening to this and you have a, a tent making pastor, understand that he works very hard to be, um, honoring to God and honoring to his family and that his time with them is valuable. And sometimes 
church members need to just get out of the way, honestly, uh, and let them spend time with their family. That would probably be the number one thing is that, and maybe people would say, well, yeah, that's obvious. You know, you do work hard, but preaching a sermon and you, you probably know this, Aaron is a difficult thing to do and you are exhausted afterwards. Um, and then knowing you've got to get up Monday morning and go to work, that's difficult. So I would just say it's really hard. Um, and so honor your pastor and show up to church. <laughs> that's a, that's a big one. <laughs> show up. Uh, you know, your pastor works all week bringing you sermons, studying the scripture. And if you don't show up, I, it's pretty disrespectful. Um, that's uh, that's what I'm coming to notice more in in uh, in churches. So I would say honor your pastor, honor God, uh, honor the authority that God has placed over you in your church and show up and uh, be grateful for a man that's willing to do so. That's great, man. Um, I got to believe that tent making is probably going to be more and more necessary mm. as time moves forward, just because mm-hmm. of the change in the culture, the, um, the just even, you know, I know everybody's worried about, you know, how will, how will the, uh, churches be allowed to keep their tax-free exempt status based upon their positions on things like homosexuality and other things. Right. So obviously there is a real um, awakening that could be coming to the church in the sense of um, just based upon the need and necessity. What words of encouragement do you give to young guys who are coming out of seminary and saying, man, I've taken on all this debt. I've taken on this responsibility. How in the world can I be a tent making pastor and a pastor and all of this? And yet, you know, what, what, yeah. what words of encouragement do you have for that guy? Well, you can't do it. You're right. Uh, there, you, you just you're not going to be able to. But God can do it. And that's the thing that I've noticed more and more. Um, there's no way. I mean, there is no way that we should be able to make it as as a family uh, with the price of groceries, with the price of gas. We keep having kids and they cost money. You know, there's no way we should be able to do this. But God's doing it and we're okay. And the thing is, is that as a tent-making pastor, somebody young coming out, you know, seminary, yeah, you, you get a big – uh, a bigger seminary name on your on your diploma, you know, you can go to these schools that will put you into debt, or you can go to a smaller one like where I went, and I graduated debt free, making fifty dollars a week. How did that happen? Only by God's grace. So choose wisely where where you're investing your money for one thing, um, but also don't be picky. That's that's one of the biggest things. People uh, when they with some people, I, I went to school with some people who would say, I'm only going to take a church if it's in uh, California or if it's in uh, Georgia or wherever they were, that that was the only place they would go find a church. And I was applying all over the place thinking wherever God puts me, I mean, th- we believe in a sovereign God, so he's going to put me where he wants me. And here I am in Canyon City, the exact place I said I didn't want to be. But we love our church and we love our people in the church that God's bringing. I mean, we God's bringing families in here, reform families from our community that we didn't. I mean, where are they coming from? There's there's not another reformed church, uh, confessionally reformed church around us for 35, 40 miles. So 
these people have been here this whole time, but they're coming to our church now. And that's really, uh, you see God doing that. And it's, it's been exciting. So go where God places you and work hard at whatever he gives you because uh, he's going to take care of you. And so if you are crazy enough to start a podcast on top of that, you better be willing to put in the time and lose some sleep. So That's uh, rich, man. I, I really appreciate the comments there. And I just think that the reality is that we're moving to a day and age where uh, full-time pastorate and salary is going to be a thing of the past. I, I don't know what your thoughts on that are, but that's, that's kind of what I think in the direction. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. Um, you know, people, people don't have the money to give to the church like they used to, for one thing. I mean, people are losing jobs and, um, you know, my, one of the guys at my church is a full-time welder and has been for 20 years. He's owned his own business and he's, um, he's not able to, uh, make it as well anymore because he's a small business. And so, you know, that's okay. God, God has gifted the church to do other things and he's gifted the men who serve the church in areas. You know, I'm not a good, I couldn't go work construction. I don't know how to do that, but I can deliver mail and I can do those things that God has done. You know, I'd work at McDonald's if I had to, <laughs> you know, to, to be where God placed me and be happy and be content. So for sure. I th- I think you just do what what um where he's you just work hard where he's placed you. It sounds like in in your life there's a sense of freedom. There's a freedom that you're not totally dependent upon um being paid in a sense fully by the church because I've heard pastors well I can't say that I can't preach that you know they might kick me out. There's a sense I would guess of freedom that even if they kicked you out you still get to hold your integrity because you got a, a day job. And yeah. at the other side of it is you're also learning to trust God and there's a freedom that, hey, this is where he sent us. God's got to provide. Yeah. Um, so I, I hear in here in your message to us that there is a lot of freedom and confidence you're able to have because of what God's doing through all this is. Am yeah. I, am I barking up the right tree? Yeah, you are. I, I mean, where where else are you more free than resting in God? Uh, nowhere, you know, you, you can't, you can't be at a church that pays you 80,000, 90,000 a year and have total freedom in that. But you can have freedom knowing that God has placed me here. I'm doing what he, he has asked me to do. Uh, the church, this is, this has been one of the biggest testimonies to me. The church that I pastor, we don't do anything. We preach uh, fancy anyways. We, we have scripture read every service, uh, the public reading of Scripture. We preach expositorily through books of the Bible at a time, uh, and and I'm not I'm not eloquent. I'm not that great of a speaker, but I just get the text. I, I work with the text. I, I try to get it uh, right every time and present it to the church. And God has taken people out of the church that don't want to hear it, and He's brought people in who do want to hear it. And so in that, I'm not trying to go out and just say, hey, come to my church because I've got this great charismatic personality. You'll really like what I'm saying. Uh, I don't have to do that. God's going to bring him. You know, I invite people. I, I tell them about Jesus, but I'm not, it's not on, it's not on me to build the church. And there's a great freedom in that. There's a great freedom in knowing that I can get up week after week and says, here's what uh, the scripture says. And I can say whatever it says. And knowing that if the people don't like it, their problem is with 
the scripture, not with me. And so, yeah, there's a great freedom in knowing that if they said, we don't like the way this is going, we will, we got to let you go. Um, then I'm still going to be all right. You know, there's, so there's a great freedom in that. Um, either way at the post office, if the post office said the same thing, you know, right. Uh, I'd say, okay. And so, yeah, yeah. there's freedom in it. No, that's good. Cause I just want our listeners who may be faced with a situation where they have the opportunity, um, to take a calling, but they're looking at the finances and what well, have to get another job to realize that's not mm-hmm. necessarily a bad thing. God, no. God can use that. And and the thing is, is that people told me to close the doors on my church. I, I preached one Sunday where there was five women sitting in there listening to me, and that was it. Um, and so they said, why don't you close the doors? That church is never going to do anything. It's just wasting time. It's wasting your time where you could be uh, searching for a bigger church, where you could be on staff. And, and I just... I'd been praying about it and I did not feel like God wanted me to do that. I didn't feel like we were called to just leave this church and let it close up the doors. Uh, they were so undiscerning that they could have got any, anybody in there, you know, they could have got, um, somebody who just builds a church off of games and gimmicks. And, and I thought, man, these people need scripture taught to them. They need to hear the word of God. So, yeah, don't go somewhere else if 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 you feel like God's called you there just because people are putting pressure on you from the outside. Don't do it. Uh, stay, pray, and work hard, and God's going to bless it. Well, I really believe there's a rich lesson there because I do think we have a tendency, especially in our society, and it, and it trickles into our Christianity that well, if something's small, it must be broken. It, mm-hmm. it must be. It must be dead. And when we see dead, we think, well, let's just put the tombstone up. It's, it's gone and, and start something new. And I, you know, and, and I, I've said this many, many times, I, I believe in church planting. I support church planting, but a lot mm-hmm. of times the idea is church planting is very sexy. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, uh, church revitalization, church rebirth, <laughs> uh, is long, it's slow, it's tedious. It's like being married to the old lady with warts <laughs> and every day you just pray, you fall in love with her, you know? And yeah, I, yeah. I see that when you're taking, you're talking about preaching to five women and just, okay, Lord, here I am being faithful. I'm not surprised God has blessed you. I'm not surprised God has honored that ministry because mm-hmm. that's what he does. He says, mm-hmm. you know, preach the word and watch what I'll do. And it, it is amazing to see those stories uh, it's encouraging. It's uh, enriching to hear those stories where faithfulness has taken place and God's honored that. So I'm very encouraged by your story, brother. Hmm. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I really want to just thank you for the time today, Cody. This has been uh, a real honor for me to be able to actually host you on a <laughs> podcast. Uh, yeah. And uh, I just really think this has been a great discussion for our listeners on uh, everything from you know, uh, bivocational to confessionalism to, uh, mm. to podcasting one-on-one. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, just to let you know, Chris, uh, Shinbein sent me a message that said, remember to sound smart because I can't edit out the dumb. So <laughs> he, I said, I said, you're in trouble then. Uh, so just so you know, that kind of messed me up a little bit when I read that. Yeah, I'm sure he, uh, they, they, they're always trying to say, guys, make me sound smart, make me sound better. And, uh, that hasn't worked yet. So sorry, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're doing a great job, man. I, I appreciate your podcast a lot. No, I appreciate it. And, uh, 
if uh, if my listeners, if you haven't listened to uh, yet the Ordinary Pastor podcast, please do make sure it's a regular uh, staple diet in your uh, in your listening. And uh, mm. uh, just want to thank uh, Cody for his time with us, and uh, uh, we'll catch you all next week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page.